everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You think about the early 70s, Equal Right Amendment, women marching in the streets. Uh, women are just starting to integrate into firefighting and police forces. And I mean, there's still places in the country where if you're a school teacher and you become pregnant, you have to leave. And the most popular TV series, this is idea of iconic women leadership is Charlie's Angels. That was Admiral Michelle Howard the U.S. Navy's groundbreaking four-star admiral, talking about what America was like back in the 1970s when she first dreamed of attending the U.S. Naval Academy. Women were barred from the service academies back then, but when Michelle Howard finally got in, she went all the way to the top. I'm Alain Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Michelle Howard is a woman of many firsts, America's first female four-star admiral, the first African-American woman to command a Navy ship, and both the first woman and the first African-American to be vice chief of naval operations. Today, Admiral Howard is retired from the Navy, but she's continuing to use her military experience to serve her country in other ways. Listen and learn why Admiral Michelle Howard is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. Well, I'm so delighted to be here today with Admiral Michelle Howard. If anyone is a trailblazer, it is she. Also, she's just an extraordinary person in every way. Admiral Howard, so wonderful to see you. 
Good to see you, Madam Ambassador. And uh, I, I got to say, I never thought of myself as a trailblazer until I made one star. And then for Women's History Month, DOD gave me an actual trailblazing award. Well, that was well-deserved. I'm glad they finally caught up with you. So let me begin by um, saying you are indeed a woman of many firsts, including the first woman to become a four-star admiral in the U.S. Navy, not a single star alone. What was it in your growing up, in your background, what made you look for success in the Navy and contributed to your being such a groundbreaker? Because it's always so fascinating to hear how people of accomplishment were influenced by their growing up. Right. So in my case, I was 12 when I saw a documentary on uh, television. I actually think it was about the Air Force Academy. And I was enthralled with the teamwork, the uniforms, the leadership opportunity. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's what I want to do. And then I went to my older brother who uh, made it pretty clear I wouldn't be allowed to go to a service academy because it was against the law. And I was just stunned. So I went to my mother who said, yep, your older brother's telling you the truth. But wait, wait, you're just you're just 12. You might change your mind. But if you don't change your mind, I encourage you when you're old enough to apply. And if you're rejected because you're a woman, we'll sue the government. And I was I was amazed. And then she gave me the greatest, a really great life lesson. She said. Look, if this is what you want to do and you think it's right, you should pursue it. But if we have to file a lawsuit, it could take years to get to the Supreme Court. And by the time they make a decision, you could be too old to go. But it's it might mean other women get to go instead. And that's just important. So she was trying to teach me, go after what you believe is right. And don't worry about the benefit to yourself. It's about the benefit to the community that's most important. So luckily for me, the law changed when I was 16. I still wanted to go. I applied when I was 17, and life in the Navy started at 18. You know, what a wise mother you had, and what a gutsy lady to say, if they don't change that law, we'll just take it all the way up to the court system. But as you said, fortunately, it changed, and you were the beneficiary of what took place in 1976 when the U.S. Naval Academy, West Point, and the other service academies were finally open to women, and it couldn't come soon enough. You entered in 78, and you were only one of seven Black women in your class of more than 1,300 students. Extraordinary. So can you give us a sense of what it was like to be in that class? Well, I I think we need to put it in context, right? Where where the country was in 78. So, you know, you think about the early 70s, equal right amendment, women marching in the streets, women burning their bras. And and I was 12 when that was happening. I I didn't understand that at all. (laughs) So by the time I'm starting in 78, the Supreme Court is still all male. So there's no, it's about to happen, but there's no Sandra Day O'Connor yet, right? Uh, women are just starting to integrate into firefighting and police forces. And I mean, there's still places in the country where if you're a school teacher and you become pregnant, you have to leave. You can't teach anymore. And the most popular TV series 
This is idea of iconic women leadership as Charlie's Angels. So we're <laughs> we're a befuddled country, I think, at that point. And so then, uh, you know, we're I'm in the third year group of women who've started Annapolis, and uh, we're being we're being uh, the we're our seniors are the last all male class, and they are still angry and frustrated that this huge change has happened. And uh, years later, there was a wise CNO who said, you know, change is like a new pair of shoes. Change hurts your mind the way a new pair of shoes hurt your feet. But eventually you get comfortable. (laughs) And so we were at the hurt and mind stage. And uh, many of the male midshipmen were acting out because of that. So it was a a rite of passage, I think, for the women who were going through Annapolis during those years. So I I just, I'm in admiration of all my uh, women classmates who basically, to me, survived uh, and went on to become leaders in the service. Well, I know that just being at any of the service academies is quite challenging. And to be a change maker among a group of change makers uh, must have brought its own challenges. I wonder at any point, did you feel a sense of dropping out? I just can't hack this. Or were you just determined, uh, set your mind to it and ultimately prevailed? We started off, there were four roommates and one of them dropped out uh, our plebe summer, our first year, the indoctrination summer, uh, due to pressures from the male midshipmen. And after that, I initiated a conversation with my other three roommates and we actually were all, we're very deeply in contact. We call each other roommates for life. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And we made a pact that if any one of us was going to quit, we had to talk to the other three and convince them that we were quitting for personal reasons, not because we were being pressured. And I think that pact kept us together, and all four of us graduated. I love that. A pact among uh, fellow students who were in a similar situation and supporting each other. There's great, great wisdom in that as well. So you went on to be the first African-American woman to command a ship in the United States Navy. And I think, I dare say, for most of us, we don't know what it means to command a ship. So could you tell us what those obligations are like? And then again, because you were a first, did that present any special challenges? The period of when I took command was about five or six years after the combat exclusion law had been repealed. So on top of me being the first African-American woman to take command of a ship, I'm in the first five women who've been selected to command a combatant ship. That, you know, prior to 94, we weren't allowed to serve on. Uh, And then when I took command, my XO, my number two, just happened to be a woman. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're on an amphibious ship. The CO is going to be a woman and the number two is going to be a woman. So what I was not expecting was the media attention. So, you know, the a change of command is open and then you just don't really expect the local newspapers or Associated Press to be interested in a unit change of command that they wore. And so uh, I was not ready, I think, mentally prepared for that level of, of focus, which continued on through my time as a CO. 
Well, to me, the commanding officer of a ship, it's a wonderful privilege. And uh, it generally for the Navy, it takes about 18 to 21 years of experience at sea uh, to get to that level. And then you are, you own everything. And, and that really hits home when you actually literally have to sign for this ship, this multi-billion dollar asset. <laughs> you literally have to sign oh for it. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, the most important thing is the crew. Uh, you're responsible uh, for the safe navigation and safety of that ship. So even before you talk about combat, just getting from A to B, properly driving the ship, you know, and and being underway and making sure that the crew is each individual member of the crew is successful at what they do. That's the leadership part. But it's also the very fundamental nature of you are responsible for these people's lives. So if you if you have a collision, sailors are going to die. And America has trusted their sons and daughters to you. And then on an amphibious ship, you generally have Marines. So the deployment I went on, uh, I had about 260 sailors. And then we had uh, about 300 Marines embarked. And then underway, you're responsible for all of them. Uh, And then you're responsible for training your ship so that the crew and everybody's ready to do the high end missions. Um, so whether it's maritime security operations or uh, piracy operations, that you as the CO have got to make sure your crew is trained and ready all the time. What an enormous responsibility. And do you always have that sense of responsibility every day that you're doing it or does it ease a little bit? No, you're you're never you're never off duty, so to speak, while you're in <laughs> command of the unit. Because anything can happen at any any minute of the day. You know, there, it's not a, a five day a week, nine to five job. It's more like a five to nine job, seven days a week, with an, an ability to take wake up calls in the middle of the night if necessary. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation 
by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. You mentioned leadership in the context of the ship and what you needed to do. And early on, you had mentioned when I described you as a trailblazer, you said that uh, your leadership was recognized after you got that first star. But you have won so many awards since for your leadership, all with good reason, needless to say. Do you think that women's leadership is different? If it is, how is it different? And because leadership is such an important part of what you represent, your career, uh, the military, how do you define leadership? So I've often, and I've said this over the years, people are individuals. And it's, to me, it's, it's fascinating that some people claim, oh, women lead differently than men. You know, I have met leaders. I've met charismatic kind of over-the-top women leaders and charismatic, over-the-top male leaders. And, you know, the difference is how we describe them. We're going to say the male leader's passionate, and we're going to say the women leader's emotional. Their behavior's the same, but we want to put these gender lenses on the behavior and describe it differently. So I, I no, I think leadership is very individual. And uh, for folks who are in training to be a leader, you just have to sort of find your strengths and then emphasize those strengths and uh, use them to develop your teams. Um, my favorite definition of leadership I came across years ago is leadership is an inability to stand by and watch things go to hell. That's leadership. <laughs> That's excellent. I, I must remember that one. So. One of the other things uh, I've come to know about you and, and admire you so is that you've been so personally committed to diversity and inclusion. I want to believe that the day is going to come where we all do much better, whatever sector we're involved in, whether it's government or companies. But why is it so important to our national security as well? I don't think so often that we think about that. We've talked about, I know, a great deal in, in recent uh, weeks, especially about the importance of diversity and inclusion in the work of our foreign service officers, our diplomats. But why is it so important to national security? Well, in the case of defense, we live in a democratic society that's uh, an all-volunteer force. So then when you look across this nation, it is extremely diverse. The, the guardians of this nation must reflect the breadth of diversity that exists. 
And then in the case of it's an all-volunteer force, you cannot start segmenting. I'm only going to try and recruit from one sector of that population that you need to, for defense, make the entire population available uh, and, and, and try and pull in across the great America all the, all the different talent that's out there. And so in terms of manning army units, manning ships, uh, aviation squadrons, we're recruiting folks to come in uh, and, and they're coming in as volunteers. But we need a big pull. So we need all of America. And then in terms of trust, the American citizen needs to look to defense and say, yep, that defense represents me, represents my hometown, represents what I look like and represents America. Uh, and so it's it's intrinsic to national security for us to be a diverse Department of Defense, diverse military members. So well said. And another way that the whole uh, diversity issue comes up within the U.S. military is the need to diversify within combat areas, specifically career fields, uh, as you mentioned, like infantry or flying fighter jets. Um, they tend to dominate the highest levels of military leadership. Or driving ships. And commanding ships, indeed. It wasn't that many years ago when many of these roles uh, were not open to women. No. So when you look at the playing field, if the opportunity is closed off, then you're not going to have future leaders who, who are women. So for the Air Force and the Navy, when the combat exclusion law was repealed uh, in 93 and 94, the main missions of the Air Force and the Navy opened up to women. Women could now in the Navy, not only serve on support ships, we could serve on destroyers and cruisers and aircraft carriers. Women were now no longer constrained to fly support aircraft. They could fly fighter aircraft. So when you look at the senior leadership of the Navy and the Air Force, because that opportunity opened up decades ago, that meant women could move into the main mission and then grow up to be an admiral or general. And it takes, in any of the services, about 25 years to create the body of experience in a human being uh, to become an admiral or general. So if the playing field's not equal, and then there's not enough diversity in those main missions of the services, there's no pool for, for people to, to grow up and be in that uh, successful group of colonels and captains who someday are going to be the one, two, three, and four stars. So the services, uh, uh, I think over the last few years, have started to recognize this and uh, in their different ways are trying to, as men and women go into the service academies or ROTC, start doing mentoring early and encourage women and uh, diverse members to go into the combat arms side of the services instead of, you know, I feel more comfortable in the supply side. Uh, logistics side, because someday I'll leave and that gives me skill sets I can use in, in the outside world. No, think about think about the main mission and the fun and excitement you're going to have in the main mission. And trust me, the leadership skills you're going to develop will work in the business world someday. So we've got to do more mentoring to, to move 
candidates into those those career fields. And it is so important, uh, particularly for women uh, who've wanted to succeed, let alone at the level that you've done so, uh, to have those opportunities. Absolutely. And if the playing field is legally the same, it's there. And so for the Navy, uh, one of my classmates from Annapolis was the first uh, women to be the head of the CB Corps. And because the combat exclusion law was repealed, that meant she commanded CB battalions on her way up. She was in Iraq on the ground as a CB. So those opportunities exist when the law is equal. You know, my service has already had a female fighter pilot. She's now a two-star. We had a women diver make two-star. So it's there. It just, we have to make sure that women and diverse members know the opportunities are there and encourage them to pursue that type, that those mission sets. And it's been a journey, clearly. And uh, it has mattered so much uh, to have changes in the law of recognizing that it's time. And I think you put that so well in terms of your own experiences and what it means to so many others. Speaking of time, we have time for one more question. And I know that uh, this has been a difficult time for our world, a very challenging time. We're still living through this pandemic, uh, but there's so many other issues that we need to uh, deal with. And I wonder what makes you so optimistic and so hopeful about the future? So in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing and the subsequent uh, protest across the country, what gave me hope is the fact that these were American citizens from all walks of life protesting, that it wasn't just African-Americans who saw this as injustice. It was the citizens of the country who saw injustice and were protesting against that. And that gives me hope that when the citizens say, okay, this is wrong and this is about, this is not about George Floyd as an African-American. This is about a citizen who lost his life and, and we all need to be supportive and push for justice in this country. So the fact that the protesters mirrored America, that's what gives me hope. That's a, a wonderful uh, insight because I think for so many of us seeing us come together at that moment, it didn't matter who we were or where we came from, uh, what color we were, what ethnic background we had, but crying out for justice, coming together for justice. And it's so important in these times, especially. I cannot thank you enough. I'm sure that our listeners feel very privileged indeed to have had this moment with you, Admiral Michelle Howard. Truly, you are a figure in, in history now. And we're just grateful to you for your service to the country, but for everything that you represent uh, in terms of your leadership. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our country is so lucky to have leaders like Admiral Michelle Howard. Here are three things I took away from that conversation. First, if you want to achieve something difficult, you have to take the long view. When she was just a child, 
Michelle Howard wanted to attend the U.S. Naval Academy. Women were barred from entry in those days. But her mother told her, if you know it's the right thing, be prepared to fight all the way to the Supreme Court, not for yourself, but for the benefit of others. Second, when women stick together, they can accomplish anything. When Michelle Howard did get to Annapolis, she was just one of a handful of women there. She and three other women made a pact to support each other, and all of them graduated. Finally, diversity makes our military stronger and our country safer. As Admiral Howard says, Americans need to be able to look at the military and say that defense represents me, represents my hometown, represents what I look like, represents America. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today.